Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roker Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's Phil Horson this weekend after Sunderland won... Another home game, albeit in hard-fought fashion against Reading to continue their good form in the championship. It was not the most eventful game in terms of aesthetics. It wasn't the most attractive game to watch, but there was a lot to talk about. And to do this, I'm joined by Chris Wynn. How are you this evening, Chris? I'm all right, Phil. I'm looking forward to talking through an absolute slog of a match. It was a slog, and we'll come on to that in a, in a few moments. But um, obviously, just before the game, we, we'd obviously come off the back of two you know, intense games. We had the, the trip to Millwall and the championship last weekend. And we also had the FA Cup midweek game against Fulham. And before the game, I don't know about you, Chris, but I was just a little bit edgy about this one because I just wondered whether this might have been <laughs> one of those games, it's a game too far, players have emptied the tank during the midweek game and they're obviously being worked over by Millwall. Were you fairly confident heading into the game that we could do the business yesterday? Well, you know what it is? If you if you listen to the pod, me and Gav in midweek, you'll have heard us just talk again. So it was kind of, we talked about with the Swansea game earlier in the season, the... I think it was the Cardiff game earlier in the season. There was a few others as well, I think, where we've played teams where they've been on a really bad run. And we've just been saying, they're there for the taking. The, yeah. You know, there's three points there on offer for us. And we said it in midweek about Redden as well. We were like, it's there. Like the three po- where we know we can beat them. And um, I mean, like most sides in the division, but in terms of Redden's form, they hadn't won away for God knows how long. I think you had to go back to November or October or something like that for Redden's last away win. And again, we just knew it was there for the taking. But we said, me and Gav were like, these things don't always go to plan, like the Cardiff game, like the Swansea game. You know, it's not as easy as you think on the day where you look on paper and you just think it's going to be a simple game. So I think we knew we weren't going to kind of steamroll them. I get what you're saying about what led up to that game in terms of the effort for the Fulham game. The Millwall game, as you said, was tough. Um, Absolutely right. There's the physical element of it, and I think Tony Mowbray touched on that. We might come back to it, but I mean, from my point of view, it's the it's the mental side of things. So you can almost say there's mental fatigue there, almost. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yes, I thought we would get three points, but I, I didn't think it was going to be a walkover. Let's dive straight into the game. Um, now, obviously, Redden brought you know their team up, and to go through the Redden team yesterday was kind of to look back at. You know, maybe the Premier League, maybe 10, 10 11 years ago, because obviously they had the likes of Junior Hoyler in there. They had uh, Jeff Hendrick. They had uh, Shane Long and Andy Carroll up front. Redden basically came to spoil the game, to slow it down, use delaying tactics pretty much right from the get-go. 
And obviously the first half from a Sunderland point of view, you know, there was no lack of effort and there was no lack of ambition, but one or two passes were going astray. You know, it wasn't quite clicking for us in an attacking sense. And it became obvious that, you know, patience was going to be the order of the day. Did Redden's approach surprise you, given, as you mentioned, obviously they weren't in great form coming into the game. And I think a lot of people might have expected them to do that. But did you expect them to be so kind of, you know, brazen in terms of the, the defence that they put up from the get-go yesterday? Absolutely, 100%. Nick, I've touched on it in midweek. I think the Alex Ray effect had something yeah. to do with it. Because I think, Alex, look, Paul Linson's daft deal have said, Alex Ray, you know, you've played probably, what, 100 games or something at the stadium or however yeah. many you played. What What's this crowd like? You know, what do we have to do? You know, what what's going to be the secret to, to kind of getting under their skin? And and that's how they set up, and, and they kind of did. And I've heard a lot of um, Redden are kind of the worst side to kind of come to the stadium light in, in terms of how they set up. Yeah. You could look at it you could look at it the other way. You could almost argue saying, well, we didn't get a sniff. Yeah. And we didn't we didn't really look like scoring because of the way they set up and frustrated us. I've got no problem at all with sides setting up like that. It's a game plan. Redden are in trouble. They're on a bad run. They've set up in a way to get something out of the game to stay in the game and then later on you know, maybe be a bit more expansive and nick one and nick three points. I mean, it's yeah. a, Paul Lynch has been there and done it. It's all well and good. We can't moan about these teams doing these things. I mean, they've got every right to do it. And in their position, they need points. They need results. They need some confidence. And they're going to try and get that any way they can. So I've got no problem with that. The onus is on us yeah. to do something. And we've got to do our thing at that point. We, we didn't do it first half. And yeah. we've said many times, we've got this young squad you could almost see they've been through quite a lot over the last couple of weeks with those two ties with Fulham. And the, I don't think having a replay actually helped us. But in that first half, the tempo wasn't there. That, like I said, I think it was a mental problem because of the change in the second half that you saw. That yeah. it didn't sit. Like if it was physical, then I think it's more difficult to step it up like we did in the second half. And that's why I've got a feeling it was mental because. Mowbray got them in at half time, and you could see he took he told them that the game wasn't going to come to them. Yeah, that we we're not just going to play, play, and play, and then suddenly we'll get a goal out of nothing. Just you know, just because we've got 65 percent of possession, we've got to break them down. Redden yeah. is saying we'll come on and break us down, and in the second, I think Mowbray kind of picked them up and said mentally, "You've got to go out and win this game. It's not going to come to you." So we'll come on to it with the substitutions, but I think even at half time, he earned a bit of his coin this week. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Is that, you know, we've seen these players this season, you know, they've they've solved puzzles on the pitch for themselves. You know, there's been times when we've blown teams away with, ex, you know, expansive attack and football, when it's all come easy. And there's been other times, a lot of times at home, when teams have come in and they've, they've frustrated us and we've kind of had to try and solve those problems for ourselves. And I think you're right, Chris. I think the first half yesterday was a classic example of, okay, we know we've got the quality here, but how can we how can we get through them? How can we make it happen for ourselves? And how can we break them down? And, you know, maybe it was just one of those games where, you know, you do have to take your time. You have to be patient. I mean, I think the crowd yesterday really helped them. I didn't get any sense of frustration from the supporters. I felt that there was, you know, that they, they were patient. They understood, they could see what Redden were doing. I mean, they did an excellent job of thwarting us and, and, and kind of neutralising our attacking threats in that first half. And obviously... We didn't have Ross Stewart, and there were there were times when you know someone like Dan Ballard would get on the ball, and he was shaping up to play a long ball into where Stewart would be, but he kind of stopped himself because he knew that he only had Joe Gelhart to hit, and, and that tactic's not going to work in that situation. So, here's one for you, Phil, because and I'm interested to see what, what what you think of this one because you mentioned Ross Stewart and missing Ross Stewart, yeah, and you you mentioned Gelhart coming in, and you mentioned that kind of Dan Ballard 
almost second guessing himself, thinking I'm not going to play that ball because yeah. no, that's the ball that Ross Stewart would be expecting, not what Gellart would be expecting. But I mean, I thought Gellart's movement looked fantastic. I think he's very clever in w- what he does. Yeah, but I think it's going to take time for them to to know what runs he makes because he makes very different runs to Ross Stewart. Yeah, but with the way he plays, because he looks like he's on the last shoulder, he wants to get in behind. I mean, do you think? We need to change our play a little bit to get the ball forward a bit quicker with Gallard up front than, than Ross Stewart. I think we do, and I think this is where Alex Pritchard could really play a key role because we know that Pritchard's good at playing those little slide reel passes, you know, into the front man, and he, you know, he, he can unlock a defence. And I think those are the kind of balls that the Gellhart's going to thrive off. I think he's going to be the kind of guy who really thrives with the ball into feet if he can just find a gap and dart through it, and we can, you know, we can slide a pass into him. Um, but I think the speed of play from the transition is going to be absolutely crucial, Chris. I think that's a very good point that you've just raised there. Um, we, you know, he, he he looks. I'm sure that Gellhart will be. You know, a nippy, lively forward. You know, a player who kind of buzzes around. You know, and can and can you know kind of find gaps and dart through them. But he's going to need the service. And I think you know, I I do agree with you that, that that we are going to have to adapt. We knew we were going to have to adapt when we lost mm. Ross Stewart. I think you know, me and Gav talked about this on on a previous pod. We knew we were going to have to modify our style of play in order to get goals from elsewhere. I think we, that was inevitable. And um, and I think with Gelhart, I think we are going to have to keep it on the deck a little bit more. And I think it's where. The likes of Dan Neal and Edward Mishu, who will, will come on to later, and the, they're going to be key as well because they're getting really confident now. They're playing with their heads up. They're looking to carry the ball. So yeah, I, I think that I think in some ways I think that it's been a bit of a false start for Gellhart in some respects because obviously he made his debut in a very hostile environment against Millwall. It was it was you know it was decent, but it wasn't anything special. That's okay. He's obviously cup tied for midweek, and then he comes in against an obstinate and, and, and resolute Redden team. So. Not easy for him, but yeah, I think we'll get the best out of him, you know, through good service, through quick, quick balls into him, and he can make the rest happen himself. So yeah, I'm optimistic about him, Chris. I think he will thrive. I think he might take a bit of time, but you know, how many of these players have taken a bit of time to really settle into our yeah. style of play? Oh yeah, and yeah. and really kind of get attuned to the way you know Mowbray wants them to play. And Gellhart might be the same. I was just going to say, so you're you're especially right, but especially when when there's only one striker. Yes, and that. You've almost got to adapt to that. You've got to play to that one striker's strengths. And, yeah. and it's almost the whole team's got to... I mean, Gellart's obviously going to adapt a little bit to you know where, where his positioning is when Ahmad's, uh, Ahmad and Roberts are doing their thing on the right-hand side. What does he do? Where's, you know, does Clark pull the ball back? Does Clark knock the... I mean, actually, as a striker, he's probably got to get used to Clark cutting back and then yes. trying to take him back on again. And yeah. it's that expectation of the ball coming in. But... It's it is. I mean, you're right. It, it is going to take you know probably three, four, five games for Gellart and the others to kind of get used to to playing each other because with Gellart being that focal point, they've got to kind of give and take with each other to to kind of play to each other's strengths. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first half was quite frustrating, but I want to highlight the performances of Patrick Roberts and Tri Hume in particular. Um, and also Dan Ballard. Now we know that Roberts has got quality. We know he was, you know, a high-profile signing when he joined the club. Um, obviously, he joined on what was ostensibly, a, I think, a free transfer or something close to that. Um, and he's really starting to shine now. And obviously, Hume was a slow burner as well. And I just felt that the effort that those two lads continued to show in the first half, even if it wasn't quite clicking for them, was really impressive. They kept on going. They kept on trying to make things happen. What have you made of their kind of gradual improvement as the season has gone on? Particularly in Tri Hume's case, who really got his chance when the Naguch was injured. Um, and he's come in and he's taken that chance and he's really grown into that role. So, again, another example, really, of Mowbray managing a player and you know increasing his game time and being rewarded for that. Would you agree? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked a lot about um, Hume when he when his form just kind of you know just went you know skyrocketed. Um, and because when he came when he first came in, he did look nervous, and yeah. you know he's a young lad, and he, I think with the, and we've talked again you know on previous pods about this this atmosphere we've got at the minute where players are kind of waiting for their chance, and as soon as somebody gets suspended or someone takes a knock, they step up, and and Hume was the same, but Hume Hume was. A little bit fortunate at the beginning in the fact that the, the way I think the injuries happened, I think with Gooch's injury at the time, Hume got those two or three games to to kind of get going and get yes. some momentum yeah. because he did start, he, he was playing it simple. He didn't want to get out of position. He made sure of things. And gradually, as, as you've said, he kind of just got better and better and better because like you said, he was almost standing taller with every game, you know, that he was, he was just getting better with confidence and, you know, the way he was playing, he was getting better with each game. It's, he's a shoe in for that right back position now. And he's made it his own, which is, I mean, for, for a lad, his age. And I just love his commitment. I love, I love the fact that, you know, when a wing has got the ball, he wants to, he wants to smash them. He wants to get into them. He doesn't stand up. He doesn't stand off. He's not scared. I mean, we can go back to the James McLean. That's the um, one I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just because it's a, just because it's so much fun. But that that's the one that kind of sticks out. But yeah, I mean, Hume's fantastic, and and we'll we'll probably come on to Roberts more on on the goal, um, because I think a lot needs to be said about Patrick Roberts. Absolutely. So we get in at halftime. It's nil nil. Um, obviously, you know, it's a little bit frustrating because we can see what Redden are doing. But you know, the game's still there, everyone. We know we've got another half to come. Um, and we come out second half, and obviously Mowbray didn't make the changes immediately, but I think there was a sense that they were definitely going to come you know, sooner rather than later. Um, and obviously, eventually, he brought on Alex Pritchard. He also brought on Luke O'Neill. Um, and I think they definitely sparked things into life. I felt that you know it was the kind of game that Pritchard was going to thrive in because we know he's good in tight spaces, and we know that Luke O'Neill would really give us a, you know, some some drive and some some kind of go forward. And it obviously worked because we, re- we started to fashion out some really good chances um, in in the second half, obviously there was a there was a ball when uh, it was an unorthodox tactic for uh, Aji Elise to find himself up front, but there was a ball played over the top which he controlled really well, um, and just couldn't get it under control. And it obviously went over the bar, um, and there was also a volley from Edward Mishu that if he maybe that had dropped a fraction further, it might have got in. You know, he caught it really sweetly. So the second half, Chris, was definitely you know as you said, we definitely found that spark, we definitely found that impetus, and. You know, Redden seemed to seem to kind of dig in even further, didn't they? You know, Redden seemed to kind of, you know, they were they were killing off a day of life um, as we really started to put the squeeze on them. So do you feel that, that Mowbray got the, those first couple of substitutions right in terms of the timing of them? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because, I mean, and I, can't, I completely kind of disagreed with him waiting so long in the game. But he got it bang on. Because actually what, what I think he did, which I think was a little bit of genius, was... Because I think the changes, you know, I think we knew at half time, we kind of something has to give. We have to change something. We have to, yeah. you know, the, the, we have to increase the tempo. We have to, you know, make a change tactically or make a change with the personnel. But he waited for Redden to have 20, 20 more minutes of defending and chasing the ball and being a bit more knackered. Yeah, you know, Pritchard came on sixty five, and then he waited another ten minutes for for nine and uh, Lee Hadji. Uh, Mowbray played a blinder. I mean, I, I'll hold my hands up saying I was, uh, you know, watching it thinking, why hasn't he made a change yet? He needs to make a change. Something needs to change. Yeah. And I think I think he ta- he, he timed it right. And I, I'll hold my hands up saying 
he clearly knows what he's doing and I haven't got a clue. So we'll come on to the goal then, um, which eventually came through Patrick Roberts. I think it was a part, it was it was, it was was his dogged determination to A, get the goal and keep it alive. And then, the, the, you know, the composure and, and, and the calmness and the pressure. So obviously, he obviously won the ball back um, just on the edge of the red box, I think it was. He sat the defender down and then he did what Ahmad did against Middlesbrough and he just kind of whipped it near post, I think, and, and, and the keeper had no chance. And it was a really composed finish. And it was, I think it was just rewards for Robert's performance because, as we said earlier, you know, he, he was persistent. He never gave up. He was always looking to make things happen. And, you know, as we said, we know that Roberts has got the quality, but we also know that, as we mentioned earlier, in Ross Stewart's absence, we are going to have to spread the goal-scoring burden around the team if possible. We are going to have to, you know, be reliant on the likes of Roberts and Clark, Ahmad as well, to obviously chip in with goals. So are you confident, Chris, that someone like Roberts has got the quality to, to deliver those goals and to really kind of, you know, I mean, nobody's going to replace Ross Stewart. We know that, you know, we know that yeah. Stewart is, is is a unique striker and we know how key he is to our style of play. But now that we are going to have to adapt, Roberts could come into his own, do you think? I, I, well, I mean, just in terms of pure quality, it's, you almost sometimes have, have to ask yourself, how did Patrick Roberts end up playing for Sunderland? Yes. You know, how... Sometimes you you watch these you watch these players. I mean, Ahmad's obviously in a different position, you know, coming on loan from Man United, kind of getting some getting some game time, young lad. But Patrick Roberts, I mean, he's a Premier League player. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And I know you could tell kind of where his career was when he first joined us because it took him almost. I mean, it's ridiculous to say that it took him, you know, a good month, two months to get into his stride in League One. So it it, it almost shows you where he was at. But what a year later, or not even a year later, I mean, just look where he is now. I mean, just, just he's just an incredible player, and it's, it, it, it's fantastic to have someone like that in in a Sunderland shirt in the first team. And where, you know, where could he go? I mean, talking about goals, and I think Clark's got two recently. One in he's got one in the two Fulham games, one each yeah. in in both of those. Roberts has scored. Ahmad slightly gone off the boil a little bit last couple of games. Yeah, um, I felt that as well. Yeah. The, the interesting thing for me, though, Chris, was yesterday is that even when when he was substituted, he obviously walked off the pitch on the far side and he ended up walking mm. around the perimeter to come back to the dugout. And what was I was I was sitting on the other side of the stadium, and what what really caught my eye was the fact that every single person applauded him when they were on their feet, you know, giving him appreciation as he, as he as he walked back to the dugout. And I think that just shows just how much the fans have really taken Ahmad to their hearts. Yeah. That even if he, he's not quite on it, you know, we know he's capable of producing magic and, and yesterday wasn't quite his game. But, we, you know, even if he's not quite on it, the fans are appreciative of his efforts. And I think that's really refreshing, isn't it? You know, it's really good to see the fans backing these lads, even if it's not quite happening for them in a particular game. Yeah, it is, absolutely. And, the, and, and that's the thing with those three. Nobody, you talk to anybody, nobody's going to doubt that Clark, Ahmad and Robert have pro- probably all got the quality on their day to be Premier League players. Yeah. They're playing for Sunderland at the moment because they're all capable of having off days. Yeah. And that's what that's why they're playing for Sunderland at the moment. Take them on their best day. They're, they are Premier League players. That's that's exactly what, what you've just said there about giving... They've got grace because we know they're so good. So, like I said, I think Ahmad's been off the boil last couple of games, but... All we're doing is waiting for him to kick back in again because we know yeah. how good he is. And yeah. it's the same with Roberts. Roberts has had periods of this season where he's kind of just gone off the boil and he's had a couple of games, even dropped to the bench. Clark had a couple of games where he was needing to be taken out, given a couple of games on the bench. And it's good to see them getting frustrated by that. And and Ahmad was clearly frustrated in the early part of the season. And when they've when they've come back and getting their chance, they've all taken it. But you, but you're right. And 
it seems like with Clark over the last week getting a couple of goals, Roberts scoring um, at the weekend, um, it seems like they are stepping up and, and they're having a pop and they're getting into those positions, which is the best thing. As long as, and, and I always remember Peter Reid talking about this when we were in a bad patch, that as long as you're creating chances, as long as you look like you know, you're know you in the final third and you're being positive, yeah, eventually they're going to come. The goals will come. So as long as Clark, Ahmad, Roberts, getting the ball in the box, getting dangerous positions, pulling the trigger, because I think that's the important thing with those three. Sometimes... Sometimes they like to entertain. They like doing the the difficult thing. Yeah. Sometimes you you just want them to pull the trigger. Yeah. I mean, we, I think we mentioned this on on, on the Middlesbrough podcast we did after, after that game, and I think it might have been yourself who said that there were times when Ahmad and Patrick Roberts were just slightly overcomplicating things a little bit. You know, maybe getting too bogged down in that interplay, which we know they're so good at, rather than just kind of keeping it a little bit more simple and being a little bit more direct. But on the other hand, Chris, you know, these lads are playing with such freedom at this moment in time and such, yeah. you know, joy. They're enjoying their football. So you don't want to stifle that, do you? You know, you don't want Tony Mowbray to kind of turn around and say, look, lads, you know, you must do this, you must do that. I think they are given license to perform within a certain system. And, and that's surely a good thing going forward, isn't it? I mean, that, I mean, just imagine that. That's a tough conversation to have, isn't it? With, it is, with yeah. Patrick Roberts. Patrick yeah. Roberts and Ahmad, you've got two fantastic players who at yeah. times are literally taking the the piss out of the opposition at times. Yeah, and then you've you're, you're almost kind of you. T- I mean, I, my assumption is, and and it's funny going back to that Luke nine commentary thing when he did it with the you know the first twenty minutes on Sky. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was interesting to hear what he said, where he hinted that Tony Mowbray just leaves the attacking players to just you know you. I'm not going to worry about you. You just do your thing. Yeah, and I'll I'll concentrate on what's behind you put the structure in behind you and you do your thing. So, and I know we're kind of saying that a word in their ear just to, oh, can you just pull the trigger, you know, a little bit early or get the ball in a bit quicker. I, I fully expect that Mowbray won't say anything at all to them and just yeah. say, you know, just, and, and they'll work it out. But yeah, we, I can imagine that if he, if he does go down that route, it's an awkward conversation. So I imagine he just leaves it be. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I think he's empowered them to, to such a degree that he just trusts them. It's like, right. Okay. Yeah. We might have a moment of frustration with Patrick and with Amar, but we know that they're capable of producing that moment of magic that can turn a game. And I think it's a trade-off, isn't it? You know, it's a yeah. you know, you take the frustration and you take the you know the odd moment where they're ah, oh, wish you could do this, wish you could do that, <laughs> for the moment where he can leave you wide, you know, open mouth with shock at, at what he's just done. So yeah, it is. Well, it you is. Would, it is. Wouldn't you? Absolutely. You would. Yeah. You, you, players like that, you just say, go and do your thing. Yeah. And you tell everyone else, look, we've got these three players. Give them the ball in the final third. And get get into position, or get either get out the way or get in position, and 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 that's it. Because you would three players like that at, at this level, you just you know tell them to do their thing. But we need it. But it's the end product. It's it's fine. It's fantastic what they do. But it's emphasizing that when they do it, it there needs to be an end product. Yeah. So obviously we we managed the, the final uh, stages of the game quite quite well yesterday. Obviously, um, Redden really kind of. Were a bit of a sorry rabble by the end, and I think it was epitomised by Andy Carroll's performance. Um, a man who it never ceases to amaze me that Liverpool paid eight million more for him than they paid for Luis Suarez in 2011. <laughs> That's one of my favourite football stats of all time. Um, and he, he, you know, it, it was a fairly limp, lifeless performance from him yesterday. And obviously, suddenly we're able to see the game out. Crucial three points to take us back to the fringes of the playoffs. Um, and obviously, Paul Ince, Redden's boss, had a bit of a Let's be polite and let's call it um, a bit of a rant uh, yesterday after the game <laughs> with our uh, uh, North East sports reporting legend, Jeff Brown, um, who criticised or questioned Reading's 
style of play and their approach to the game. But as you said at the top of the show, Chris, obviously, you know, Ince has got a right to set the team up how he sees fit. Um, so do you think that was just him, obviously, maybe being a little bit, you know, a little bit of frustrations kicked in? Obviously, only lost by one goal. They'd done a fairly good job of thwarting us up until that point. So was it just a classic case of a manager, you know, a little bit frustrated after the game? Well, let, let, let's let's just start with uh, Jeff Brown. I mean, Je Jeff Brown was a young reporter, go, you know, travelling on the coach with, under Dennis Smith. Yes. So that would not have phased Jeff Brown at all. Yeah. You know, come through an apprenticeship as a journalist with you know covering Dennis Smith as as a manager, he'll uh, he'll have seen tougher than Paul Ince, but uh, yeah, I mean Paul Ince, it was all it was all PR for for, for Paul Ince because he's got to he's got to justify those tactics to his to his fans, and I think yes. the way he did it was was to deny all knowledge, which was a little bit strange, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it you know, it's management speak, it's it's all fluff, but um, but I mean just I mean just on Reading. The context that puts what we're doing into focus, because if you look at Carroll, you look at Long, the you know Long and Carroll up front. This to me is a perfect example of why the club didn't get another body in in January. Yeah, yeah. that because you could end up with people like that who then who'd start if you get a, an Andy Carroll in because you need another body, you change the way you, your whole focus and philosophy of the team. Just purely because you've got an extra body in the team, yeah. Because they played, you know, if you get a uh, people, I mean, Connor Wickham was mentioned, and I don't know whether people were serious with that, but I saw his name by, being banded around. But I mean, then you play it, you play it to his strengths. We've got a philosophy in the way we play. You don't bring a, oh well, we need a body, so we'll bring a thirty-five-year-old in, or we'll bring yeah. a, just because you need someone. And those two up front were a perfect example why we didn't. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think, you know, that, that for me was one of the most interesting points throughout the whole game is that if you look at, if you compare Redden's squad to ours, you know, there's a clear plan at Sunderland, there's a clear ethos and a, and a, and a structure as far as, the, you know, the team goes and, the, you know, the, the profile of the team and the players that we've got to fit that. And if you compare it to Redden, as you, as you mentioned there, Chris, obviously it just looks like a hit and hope kind of scenario, doesn't it really? You know, anybody who was once half decent with a little bit of pedigree, or oh, let's bring them in and hope they can do a job for us. So I don't think the contrast could have been any starker, really. Um, and th there is an argument, of course, that you know that that, that you know Carroll would have, you know, we needed a physical threat up front and all the rest of it, you know, with, with Connor Wickham, for example. But there's no guarantee, is there? You know, there's no guarantee that you bring someone in there, you run the risk of disrupting everything you've you've put together, and it could have a detrimental effect. So you know, it, it is one of those situations where you, you, you are you bringing someone in. Because you genuinely think they can contribute, which is why I think they've obviously brought in a Gelhart, for example. Or are you bringing someone in because there's a bit of a void? You're desperate to fill it, and you need someone who can, you know, just kind of disrupt a little bit. And it's not an easy thing to do. And obviously, Christian Speakman's taken a fair bit of stick about it. But you know, if you compare the the profile of the Redden team to the profile of our team, I think I know which side of the fence I'm on with that one, Chris. Yeah, and and again, yeah, like I said, you, you look at the likes of you know people signing Andy Carroll and. I, I don't know how anyone can justify, you know, especially after Christian Speakman came out, and I, I think he, he couldn't have explained the situation any better. That he said, you know, they were in a position where it was difficult to bring in that third one. Yeah, and then, and then when, when Ross Stewart got injured, it, it was difficult to then close up a deal, even though they were still trying right up to the last minute. And yeah, it, and, and they could have easily. They could have easily went out and got an Andy Carroll. Of course, they could have done quite yeah, easily. That would doubt. The amount of yeah. free free agents out there, you know, in their thirties, almost retired, want the last payday. 
they could have we could have had another striker like that. But I tell you what, I'd rather be in the position we're in with our squad than pick up an Andy Carroll or pick up a Wickham or or one of those players. And and yeah, I I just think we're, it's a perfect example of why we didn't go down that road. Yeah, absolutely. We're obviously looking now at players who could potentially make the step up to the Premier League with Sunderland at some point. We mentioned Dan Ballard, and I see Dan Ballard as being in that category. You know, I mean, you know, you mentioned you know someone like Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts, and they could have the potential. Do you think Ballard could potentially make that step up with the Premier League as well at some point? It's yeah, it's interesting with Ballard because I think I think he he could quite easily. He could quite easily be a Premier League football, uh, defender. Um, and it was interesting to see him in the two games against Fulham, um, especially at the Stadium of Light, because I think he had a right battle with with the two strikers and yes. obviously with with Mitrovic in the second half. You know, any, yeah. I think any defender is going to enjoy a, a battle with Mitrovic. But it was interesting seeing him in those games and him step up. And he didn't, you know, he didn't look out of place at all marking those players. And I think he did a, a cracking job. The only question mark which I've... I think hangs over Ballard uh, in terms of stepping up to the Premier League is uh, is he half a yard, you know, short of pace for the Premier League? And I think that's the only question mark. Otherwise, you know, the way he brings the ball out, the way he does the, you know, the real kind of defending, the nitty gritty stuff, fantastic at that. Like I said, the only question mark is is his pace at the back. And I don't think don't think Championship sides really, really kind of stretch that. No, it's not breakneck pace, is it? It's a, it's it's a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I see where you're coming well, from. A, there. It's funny actually watching teams this season. It seems to be more the physical stuff. Like, yeah, like the teams have got more of a physical presence up front than a than a real tricky player who wants to get in behind. And there's no real kind of space in behind to do that. So I, I don't think he's been tested on that front. So you know, if if hopefully you know at some point he makes a step up with us. You know, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So let's look ahead then, Chris. Obviously, we've got a trip to Loftus Road uh, or the Key and Prince Foundation Stadium, as it's now known as, to give it its proper title there, uh, on Tuesday night to play QPR. Um, their home form is pretty wretched, uh, to put it mildly. They've only drawn two. They've lost th- uh, four out of the last six at home, and they've drawn two. They've been beaten by Huddersfield, Burnley, Luton and Millwall, and they've drawn against Sheffield United and Swansea. So... A game, again, that's winnable for us. Um, what I wanted to ask you, Chris, is about potential squad rotation. Now, we've had a fairly heavy schedule recently, so do you think Mowbray could use this as an ex- as an exercise in rotation, given some of his fringe players uh, some much-needed game time? Maybe Ili Hadji, maybe an Abdullah Bar, for example? Well, for a start, you know, the way the way you've just summed up uh, QPR, and they, they, haven't, they haven't won at home since October the 22nd. Yeah, I think that was Wigan. And- yeah, and I think their last win, you know, overall, I think you might have mentioned it, but it was December the seventeenth. So the exactly what we were talking about right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's ex- exactly what we talked about, Redden, um, where you just think, well, we've got to go there and get three points. They're a team who are they're desperate. They're they're kind of they're going to be doing anything to get anything out of the game because yeah, their chins will be on the floor. So they'll be. You know they'll just be absolutely desperate, and it's exactly the same conversation we were having. That the expectation is when we're playing someone like this, and I think that was part. Of, it might have been part of that mentality in the first half against Reading that sometimes we've got players with so much talent, and sometimes we play such fantastic football that you wonder if there's an element of almost the players thinking, well, if we just turn up, it's automatically going to happen we'll, for us. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll score a goal and we'll yeah. win the game. Yeah, and I th- and like I said, it seemed to me like Tony Mowbray had to kind of 
kick them back into reality at, at half time and say that you know you've got to actually go out and earn it and and get the goal and and win the game. It is it is interesting. It was a good question that what is he going to do because, as I said, for me there were signs there in the first half that players might be tired. Well, I think mentally, Tony Mowbray and the team obviously will know physically what <laughs> where they're at. Yeah. But if if that's the case, do some of these players just just need a a game out? And I think I, I can't, you mentioned the algae. I think he looks he looks the business. By the way, I think I yeah, he really think. impressed me when he came on. Actually, yeah, I think he, he showed some real because obviously he's had you know basically no game time at all um, yeah, recently. Absolutely. So he's obviously going to take time to settle in, but definitely some quality there without a doubt. Oh, his his first touch, you could just tell his touch. You just think there's a player there. Yeah, there's. I think. Well, I'm really looking forward to getting him, but I can't see him starting at all. I mean, he's going to spend the next month coming coming on from the bench. Yeah, but um, I certainly see. I mean, the potentially Pritchard. I think because his last uh, two cameos from the bench. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Mowbray thinks yes, he's deserved enough to make the starting eleven, or is he actually too valuable? bringing him on from the bench that yeah. actually you, you might want to miff him off because he's so good coming off. He's been so good coming off the bench and he's actually made an impact. So, but that, potentially that that's going to be on his mind to bring uh, Pritchard in and, oh, you know, Dan Neil and, and Mishu in the middle. Do, does one of those need a rest? Well, nine's come on there the last couple of games. So yeah, I think the signs that a few of them might need, might need a break, but um I'm not entirely sure when Mowbray will give it to them, to be honest. I think the good thing is, though, Chris, and I think we've probably agree on this, is that we've got options now. You know, we've got that depth yeah. that we can bring them in. You know, because I think that was, particularly early in the season before the before we completed our summer transfer business, I think you looked at the bench and I think a lot of people's concern was there was a bit of a noticeable drop-off in quality when, when Mowbray turned to his bench. But now, if you look at the players who he's able to call on from the bench, there's a, it, it's really, really good. And we've got some really good options there, haven't we? It was yeah, it was interesting. Did you if you listen to to Mowbray after the game, he was talking about changing things up, um, go, moving forward. But one of the things he mentioned was that some of the players he he might bring in might not be up to speed or kind of with it in terms of what he wants us to do off the ball. Yeah. So or when we when we're not in possession and we're set up in those defensive duties, and I think actually part of him thinks. It it seemed to me like he thought players need some of them needed a rest, but he was worried about putting the players in who was, who was on the bench because they're not they're not completely clued up with where they need to be in certain yeah. situations that in the positioning side of it. So I think he's worried that we're going to get caught out if he put makes too many changes. So I I I can't see from from his comments after the game. I can't see a you know three or four changes. I'm at you know two maximum. Um, but I, I I think it might only be one change if, yeah. if he's going to make any at all. QBR is going to be all about us, as far as I'm concerned, because QBR are, are in a mess. The the their form's awful. They're almost they're almost in a, in free fall. I mean, I was looking at the um, the league table earlier on and kind of their what their kind of mid table and the what I'm just looking at the points. The ten points above relegation, which is a good cushion, but in the form they're on. They, they could, could easily, easily find themselves. Get, yeah, I mean, it, it, a couple of games time, they could end up being three points off the drop, and then they start looking over their shoulders. So they're going to need to pick up points at some point just to make sure they don't get dragged into that mess at the bottom. But it's all about us. It's it's if we turn up with the mentality that we could roll them over, and they do something similar to Redden, where they where they try and frustrate us, 
and just, you know, behind the ball, try and catch us on the break or something like that, then we need to be on it and we need to do our thing. Because if we do that, I don't think there'll be any problem. I think we'll get three points. Yeah. I mean, it could, you know, we know that, the, you know, uh, their stadium's quite tight, quite, you know, quite in close confines. And it could be a case, as you said, Chris, you know, of um, of, of them trying to frustrate us, trying to stifle us like Redden did. You know, I think these players, what they do understand is, or they're certainly starting to understand now that, you know, for, it's, it's play over 90 minutes. You're not going to be able to, you know, you can't win a game in 45. You've got to work for it. You've got to, you know, you've got to put the effort in right over the, the, the course of the game. It's definitely going to be interesting and um, it should be an interesting game, you know, and hopefully a, a successful trip to London for us on Tuesday night. Um, thanks very much for joining me tonight, Chris. Always appreciate it. No bother. It was a pleasure, mate. Um, so we're going to wrap up there, everybody. Um, thanks for listening. Obviously, rokerreport.sbnation.com for all your pre and post match for that. We'll have plenty of that over the coming days. And our next podcast should hopefully be out sometime after the QPR game. So until then, thanks for listening and cheerio. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.